Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. Most Jewish people are raised with the knowledge that they are chosen. God chose their ancestors from all the peoples in the world to bring forth his word and be a light to the nations. Yet for many, the true depth of being chosen somehow gets lost along the way. Many are frustrated with their faith and feel a sense of emptiness asking themselves, okay, I'm I'm Jewish, now what? Jewish people feel this way because Judaism is missing something the Messiah. There is an ache that our Jewish staff members experienced before they came to know Yeshua. And if you ask any of them about their, quote, conversion experience, they will be quick to point out that they are not converted Jews. They are completed Jews. Part of our drive to share the gospel with the chosen people comes from a desire for them to feel complete in Yeshua. On today's episode, we are finishing up our three-part series on sharing your faith by tackling two of the toughest objections we have encountered. Christians twist scriptures to make it fit Jesus, and the prophecy of Isaiah 53 is about Israel, not the Messiah. Joining us to talk about these objections is our president, Dr. Mitch Glazer. Mitch, welcome back to Our Hope. Hi, Abe. Shalom. Good to be here. So most of our audience has already heard your testimony, and those who haven't and would like to watch it, please look for it um, on ifoundshalom.com. It's a beautiful testimony of how Dr. Glazer came to faith in Yeshua. Mitch, before you accepted that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, was there any sort of objection or difficult question that prevented you from even exploring that truth? Like did, maybe did you have an encounter with a with a believer in Jesus where you grappled with, with a question like these? Well, Abe, I, I had an encounter with my mother. So it, it really was not, a, I didn't know any Christians. And uh, so it was, maybe that was easier for me. But uh, let me bring you up at, to a critical moment in my testimony, my story. Sure. So my two best friends became believers in Jesus and were sharing the gospel with me, and I was yelling at them, trying to convince <laughs> them that they were crazy and wrong. And, uh, of course, 
uh, without telling them, uh, the message of the gospel began attracting me. Jesus began attracting me. I began reading my Bible, the Hebrew mm -hmm. scriptures, and I would never touch a New Testament that was contraband <laughs> from a Jewish point of view. I was raised in a modern Orthodox, irreligious home in Queens, New York. Mm. Takes a long time to explain. <laughs> and so I just uh, asked God a question. I was living 60 miles south of the, uh, in the Redwood Forest. I was a camp counselor in a program, an educate, outdoor education program with the Marin County Board of Education. Right. And I asked God this question because I was in turmoil because of this search, you know. Uh, every bone in my body said Jews can't believe in Jesus. <laughs> and my two best friends who were obviously both Jewish did believe in Jesus. I sort of wanted what they had, but I didn't want the repercussions that I knew I would get if I believed in Jesus because it would be so foreign to my family mm. and others. And and so I just said, God, if you're there, show me and show me how I'm supposed to get to you. Mm -hmm. Well, that night I broke every rule that every good counselor knows is true. You don't take your homesick kid down to a phone booth. In those days, we didn't have cell phones. Down to a phone booth at, at midnight to call his mother. <laughs> okay, that's the last thing you want to do. Okay, and so I did because he was driving me nuts. And uh, <laughs> he got on the phone with his mother, and I'm fidgeting around, and I kind of was trying to calm myself down. So I was track tracking moonbeams going through the redwood trees, very very tall trees, yeah, to say the least. And one hit right on the ledge where there should have been a phone book in this phone booth, the only phone booth in this campground. Instead of there being a phone book in the phone booth, which, of course, some of our listeners don't even know what either of those items are. <laughs> so instead, there was a little book. I picked it up and it was kind of glowing in the moonlight. Right. And it said, good news from modern man. I said, what the heck is this? And I began looking at the chapters in it. And uh, just I was just was really worried about getting caught with this kid in the phone booth. And, you know, I'm not supposed to let him call his parents. And and, uh, and so... I start looking through this book and it says the chapter names are Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, John. <laughs> I say, what kind of weird chapter names are these? And I had no idea what I had in my hands, even though I was reading an Old Testament with a New Testament attached to it, but I never looked into the New Testament. <laughs> you never it was, opened it, it up. Was, no, no, it's not our book. And so I just kept uh, wondering, well, what is this? And this modern English version of the New Testament had stick figures. And so there was this little stick figure with long hair like I had. And so I, I said, oh, it's probably about Jesus. And uh, it kind of looked like a Jesus stick figure, you know. And, uh, and so I just stole the book, honestly, and uh, <laughs> began reading it. And I came face to face with a, a Jewish Messiah when I thought I'd come face to face with the father of the Pope. And it, it just, the whole thing was just so non-Jewish to me. And I began looking at the Old Testament scriptures in my other Bible, because this was just the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So I would go from one to the other and, and see who it was and uh, see how it referred to Jesus and how he applied these prophecies to himself. And so that was my first encounter with believing in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah because of what was written in the Hebrew scriptures. Wow. And that was a major unspoken objection of mine. Because I was raised in a more modern Orthodox home, we, we respect the Bible. But I didn't really believe it, Abe. I just yeah. really didn't believe it all. But I would read it and appreciate it. 
But I somehow knew that if it said something was true, I probably should pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I was so secular, I didn't really do that on a regular basis. But now, when I was dealing with such, you know, uh, such incredibly important issues, and my Hebrew Bible seemed to line up with the New Testament, then I said, wow, I need to take this seriously. And that was the gateway, that was the portal that I walked through to get to know Jesus as the Jewish Messiah and how Jesus fit in with who I was as a Jew. And that was, I'd say I got, I gave my heart to the Lord three weeks later. It was, it was incredibly important for me to discover that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah based upon the prophecies and predictions of the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures and the Old Testament. That's wonderful. And and that actually is a great segue to our first challenging question that, that we want to talk about. So one of the biggest objections rabbinic Judaism has against believers in Jesus is that Christians twist the scriptures to make it fit Jesus. It sounds like the encounter you had was that you realized everything just connected perfectly. So can you maybe explain uh, some of the history that plays into how this objection came to be? So let let me take this question. It's a great question. Let me take it in a a more holistic path. So let me first speak to an issue that we're not addressing in the question because it underlies the question, but I think it's very, very important. The way the question is framed is it's framed by people who are hostile towards us. Mm -hmm. And so we're answering their objection. And so if we answer this straight, you know, never answer a a fool according to his folly, never answer a straight question Mm -hmm. with a straight answer because you're a New Yorker. So, (laughs) so So the way this question is framed really leads us to fall into the hands of those who are countering us. So we really have to pick it apart. So let me do that. First of all, the simple use of the word Christians by what we often call anti-missionaries. And this twisted twisting the scriptures is a common way of the anti-missionaries kind of phrase things. The word Christian, when used by a Jewish person, religious or non-religious, may simply be defined as non-Jew. That's mm. how a Jewish person hears it. That's how I heard it. Wow. So when so Christians understand the word Christian when used by Jewish people to mean something absolutely other than what a Jewish person hearing the term understands, even Mm -hmm. unconsciously. It's not like we make a transformation and someone says Christian, we say, oh, you mean non-Jew. Right. It's just in in our framework, in our worldview for how we understand things, that's how we hear it. Would it be fair to say that uh, Christian, for for Jewish people, uh, Christian equates to Gentile? Yes. Okay, interesting. Not necessarily negatively. Right. But it's more other than Jewish. So the use of the term Christian it, by its very nature, implies the very thing that we believe so passionately. It implies that one cannot be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And if one believes in Jesus, they're no longer a Jew. Mm. They're a Christian, which means they're no longer a Jew. So therefore, whatever the Christian says about the Hebrew, Christi- Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, 
is invalid from the start because they don't have any right to quote from our book. Wow. <laughs> it's not theirs. It belongs to the Jewish people. And in the same way, in the Jewish mindset, the Christian Bible, the New Testament, belongs to non-Jews. So we, mm. don't, we don't deal with it. So the Old Testament is for the Jews. Mm -hmm. The New Testament's for the Christians. The Old Testament is our book. And you're not allowed to make comments about our book. That's ours. Right. I'm not making comments about your book. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference. There's Jews and there's Christians. There's the Old Testament. There's the New Testament. Most Jewish people do not even realize that Christians read the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Okay? Wow. It's fundamental. So this is one of the reasons why we never speak to Jewish people about becoming Christians or embracing Christianity. Because what your average Jewish person then understands is that if he was to become a Christian or embrace Christianity or accept the authority of the New Testament, then they have forfeited their right to being Jewish. Or maybe in a more extreme statement, they've committed ethnic suicide. Mm. So you see, there's, there's no possible way a Christian could possibly twist the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible if their intent is to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah. They can't twist it. It's untwistable mm -hmm. because no matter what they say, it's not true. And so it's not their book. Right. And so I'm not concerned about the twisting. I'm resenting their use of it. Mm -hmm. And so whatever uh, a Christian suggests about Jews believing in Jesus, whatever argument they use, basically we see this coming from a foreign power. They are spiritual imperialists. Mm -hmm. uh, they are imposing a Christian position on a Jewish position and a Christian book on a Jewish book. Mm -hmm. And they have no right to do that. So the issue is not twisted. The issue is they have no right to even quote from it. And that's the problem. And most Christians do not understand that at all, mm. at all. They, they have, most Christians do not understand how resentful or how foreign a Christian quoting from the Old Testament to prove Jesus is the Messiah, affirmed by the New Testament, how we, we get so upset about that kind of a thing, not because they're misusing the scriptures, but because they're using them at all. So it's an unwinnable argument. Whatever we have to say about the Hebrew Bible as believers in Jesus that does not agree with traditional Jewish teaching would be viewed as twisting the scriptures because the Jewish Bible and its interpretation in the Jewish mindset belongs to the Jewish people. So the only time we would not be twisting the scriptures, maybe this will be helpful, is perhaps when we're reading a psalm. You know, I, I guess the psalms are more universal. Right. But the only time... I would say that a Jewish person can accept the fact that a Christian is using the Old Testament is when they are saying something in alignment with the Jewish religion. Hmm. And since Jesus is not in alignment with the Jewish religion, whatever they say about Jesus from the Old Testament is not twisted. It's false, inappropriate. And we're not going to tell you how much we don't like you doing it, mm -hmm. but we don't like you doing it. Mm -hmm. So when we try and answer a straight question with a straight answer, and they say, you're twisting the interpretation of this prophecy, actually, that's not the problem. The real problem is they feel we have no right 
uh, to use it. Let me quote from uh, Jews for Judaism, which is sure. one of the anti-missionary groups. One of the leaders writes, this program, which he's used, he put together a program to counter the missionaries, namely people like me. So this program shows how Christian missionaries approach the Jewish Bible with a preconceived agenda and ultimately see what's not there and don't see what is there. This convoluted approach leads them to quote passages out of context so they can inject their beliefs into the Jewish Bible. The result is a dramatic misreading and distortion of the Holy Scriptures. Interesting. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's similar to somebody when we when someone asks me, how do you respond to someone saying that accusing you of twisting the Hebrew scriptures? Basically, it's a when are you going to stop beating your wife question? Hmm. Okay, because no matter what you say, it's twisted. Okay, and if you answer, it's if you give a straight answer, then it doesn't help anything. So I might rephrase the question and ask this. When will Christians stop twisting the scriptures referring to the Old Testament? The answer is never. Or until believers in Jesus stop trying to demonstrate that our belief in Jesus is founded upon the clear teaching of the Hebrew scriptures. <laughs> so there's no real argument against us that as we would have to demonstrate at the, that the Hebrew Bible does not simply belong to the Jewish people, but to believers in Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. Abe, it's a battle over ownership mm. and over interpretation. It's a batter that, battle that will never be won. Mm -hmm. So I would never bother fighting it. Mm -hmm. Instead, if asked this question, okay, uh, why are you twisting the Hebrew scriptures? Or you are twisting the Hebrew scriptures by trying to take a square Old Testament peg and fit it into a round New Testament hole, mm -hmm. okay? I, instead of, I would say, can we just take a moment before I answer your question and deal with presuppositions? Now, there are three presuppositions I want to call to everybody's attention. Number one, I would say to the Jewish person who's accusing me of twisting, I would say, well, do you believe it's possible for Jewish people to believe in Jesus and remain Jews? Mm -hmm. If they say no, then there's no hope. You're always going to twist the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Second question, presupposition. Do you believe that Christians can interpret the Old Testament with integrity, depth, and understanding? You see, uh, the Jews for Judaism guy is accusing Christians of doing this with ill motives. So do you believe that Christians can interpret the Old Testament with integrity, depth, and understanding and come to the conclusion that various promises and prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures were fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah? In other words, do you believe I can be honest, sincere, thoughtful, well-educated, and look at the Old Testament and come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah, as demonstrated by his actions in person in the New Testament? Mm -hmm. Can I do that? If they say no, then <laughs> you're never going to win the twisting argument. The third one is, do you believe it is possible that the New Testament, and this is the crux of the issue too, that the New Testament is an accurate historical portrayal of the life and times of Jesus the Messiah and his disciples, and that therefore various prophecies in the Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures, both Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus claim were fulfilled by Jesus can be accurate. So if somebody says the New Testament is just 
non-historical, inaccurate. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to it. You see, if someone says that, then what are you going to say? You know, anything you, whether you go to Matthew chapter two and start showing uh, how a prophecy or Matthew one and two or Luke chapter one, if you start showing that the virgin birth was predicted in Isaiah 7, 14 mm -hmm. and fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Well, if they are not willing to even give one bit of historical uh, value to the gospel, saying that Jesus was a real person and was born of a, of a Jewish version, then what's the, you can't prove that Isaiah 7, 14 refers to the Jewish Messiah. Mm -hmm. you, you, you can't even battle over the Hebrew words for virgin, which is uh, what a lot of people do. Right. Because the Jewish person you're talking to doesn't believe it's a possibility for the New Testament to do Jewish history, which is what we would argue, accurately. So no virgin birth. Isaiah is being twisted. You're taking it out of context. And the New Testament's inaccurate. You're twisting the scriptures. Why? Because New Testament's not true. And Jews can't believe in Jesus and be Jewish. And the Old Testament is for Jewish people to interpret, not Christians. So whatever you do, whatever you say, you're twisting it. Sharing your faith may seem like a challenge, especially when you don't know where to start. That's why we have a two-book bundle just for you. It includes a copy of How to Introduce Your Jewish Friends to the Messiah for you to read, and a copy of Isaiah 53 Explained to pass along to a friend. You can purchase all this at a special discount of 15% off. Just visit ourhopepodcast.com forward slash share your faith. Now back to Abe and Dr. Mitch Glazer. So Mitch, thank you for breaking down that question. So speaking of the New Testament, how do Jewish people feel about the New Testament to begin with? Well, that's, uh, again, these are great questions. Um, so you're asking how Jewish people feel about the New Testament. And um, it's a complicated question on a few counts. First of all, one has to understand the Jewish view of the Old Testament, <laughs> of the <laughs> Hebrew scriptures. And... Uh, and figure out what the Jewish view of biblical inspiration of the Old Testament is compared to what average evangelicals understand is the inspiration of both the uh, New and Old Testament. And so we're all locked into our own worldview, Abe, and it's very difficult to understand the basic beliefs of another person. So I understand what you mean, but and how does a Jewish person feel? But I'm afraid that the real answer is that a Jewish person feels nothing. Mm. What do if you anything, the Jewish person might feel anger because in many ways, the way the Old Testament has been interpreted in the New Testament, not by the writers of the New Testament, but by those who interpreted the writers of the New Testament, has often been used to fuel anti-Semitism. Right. And so, first of all, most Jewish people do not view the entirety of the Old Testament to be inspired by God. There's mm -hmm. a hierarchy. The Ten Commandments are the most inspired, written by the finger of God. Right. The five books of Moses, the Torah is second, also inspired. But then you have the prophets and historical books and so on. And though they are inspired, 
Uh, it's Jewish people don't sit around and say, well, do you think where they talk about science and history is completely accurate or, or whatever? Mm. Uh, it's just not a Jewish way of looking at things. And so there's no parallel in the New Testament to the Ten Commandments. The Sermon on the Mount is wonderful. Uh, the words of Jesus are sometimes in red, you know, which is confusing to Jewish people. Why don't they put the whole thing in red, you know? And so, and the Old Testament does, but it doesn't completely. So most Christians look at this question of the authority of the New Testament. They look at it through a very Christian lens and understand it. But when Jewish people think about the New Testament, question is, how do they feel about the Old Testament? Well, not as authoritative, certainly, as Christians view the New Testament. So here's what they think. Jewish people, and I was raised this way, Jewish people believe that the New Testament is a Gentile book. Jewish people believe that at times it's been used for uh, anti-Semitic purposes. Right. Uh, Jewish people uh, believe that the New Testament is uh, your book, mm -hmm. the book of the Gentiles. And it's fine for you to have your book, but you can't force it uh, on us. And so the real truth is, as I told in my story, I had never seen a New Testament before. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it, because I was open to Jesus, because of my friend's testimony, I was willing to look at where Jesus and the disciples quoted the Old Testament. I was willing to go back and look into the Old Testament and see the parallel. But believe me, I had all sorts of misgivings about the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So I believed in Jesus. And then after believing in Jesus, I accepted the New Testament as authoritative. Mm -hmm. So that's how it works for most Jewish people. Because the New Testament, well, we just never studied it in Hebrew school, Abe. Mm -hmm. And uh, it doesn't have a great reputation. Mm -hmm in the Jewish community, among some Jewish scholars today, more modern Jewish scholars, the New Testament is, is okay. So when these guys, anti-missionaries in particular, accuse us of twisting this, the Old Testament and trying to fit it into the New Testament, you have to understand, they don't care about the New Testament. They don't believe the New Testament's historically accurate. They don't even believe it's a Jewish book. Mm. And so uh, what, what are we twisting? You know, so if we were, if we were doing it, is there a way to do it accurately to take the sacred Hebrew text and put it into a book that you don't even think has any validity, authority or and so on? And so those are issues. Now, that does not mean that a, a Christian should not use the New Testament to share the gospel with a Jewish person. Obviously, it worked on me. Yeah. But there's a way to do it. Mm -hmm. Yep. That we need to talk about. That's great, Mitch. I actually want to jump to our next objection, you know, and it's similar to this first uh, idea of Christians twisting scripture. Um, it, it's it's about the chapter Isaiah 53. This is one you're familiar with since you wrote a book all about it, Isaiah 53 Explained. Um, and, and this objection is that Isaiah 53 is talking about Israel and not the Messiah. There were many rabbis in the first century and even earlier who understood that Isaiah 53 was was about the Messiah, but now there are numerous times in Scripture, and especially in Isaiah itself, where God addresses Israel collectively as his servant. So could you tell us what are the strongest reasons for interpreting the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 
as the Messiah and not the nation of Israel. Let me jump right to Isaiah 53, verse 8. Sure. Okay, let me read it. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? So in other words, whoever the servant is, they were cut off. In the Hebrew idiom there means killed. They were cut off or killed on behalf of his generation, the people who lived as part of his generation. Hmm. So he was cut off out of the land of the living because of the sins of my people to whom the stroke was due. Now, one also has to ask the question, Isaiah's writing, who are Isaiah's people? Mm-hmm. My people to whom the stroke was due. Well, obviously the Jewish people. So if I was to read uh, the nation of Israel into verse 8, I would have to read it this way. By oppression and judgment, Israel was taken away. And as for Israel's generation, who considered that Israel was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of Israel to whom the stroke was due? (laughs) You see, it makes no sense. Yeah. So I was uh, sitting at a book table at Brooklyn College sharing the gospel. And I was sitting right next to an ultra-Orthodox Chabad rabbi. Mm-hmm. And we were bantering back and forth, and we were witnessing to each other because he <laughs> wanted to convert me, I wanted to convert him. And we just, it got late, and it was a Friday. And we both realized I had a Bible study and Shabbat dinner with my family, and he had to get back for services and so on. And so we began packing up and leaving and walking uh, to our cars. And we were debating all the way through. I mean, we were debating for like two, two and a half hours. And uh, I must admit, I got a little frustrated. He got a little frustrated. So as we were about to depart, uh, I looked at him and I said, look, if you could prove to me that Isaiah was Italian, then I'll believe in Jesus. <laughs> and he looked at me and says, what? I said, I'm not kidding. You have to, he could be Irish. You've got to prove to me that Isaiah, that, that, Isaiah is not Jewish. And he says, why is that? I said, well, let's look at verse 8 of Isaiah 53. We looked at it in Hebrew. And I said, who were Isaiah's people? The Swedes? The Italians? (laughs) Who were they? He says, the Jewish people. So I said, how could Israel be cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of the Jewish people? They would be dead. Everybody would die. So what's the point? He said, well, let me think about that one. Well, that was that was, that was it. That was it. We said Shabbat Shalom, and he went off on his way. Uh, in Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50 and Isaiah 52 through 53, we have what's known as the servant songs. Mm-hmm. These are psalm-like passages in the Hebrew Scriptures that extol the virtual virtues of the servant of the Lord. And in these servant songs, is what Old Testament theologians call them. There is no doubt that sometimes there are references to Israel as a nation and sometimes references to an individual or a person. Right. And you just have to read the context. Mm-hmm. The context is king. That's what tells you who's who. One more illustration in Isaiah 49, verse 6. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant. And you ready? To raise up the tribes of Jacob and to reserve the preserved ones of Israel. Hmm. Now, how could Israel raise up the sons of Jacob when they are the sons of Jacob? Right, right. So if you read it in context, you understand that according to the text, 
it's clear that the servant of the Lord, in other texts, very well could be Israel, Mm -hmm. but in certain texts, it is not Israel. Mm -hmm. How do you know the difference? You take the Bible literally, you go verse by verse, and you figure out who it is. And that's the only way to come to an understanding of it. And and this is going to be true of, of a lot of passages in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. Mm -hmm. But I do want to give one rule of thumb that's really important. And that is, if the New Testament doesn't say that a passage points to Jesus, then you're not standing on firm ground when you say it does. So a lot of Christians like to use types and other kinds of prophecies. And you have to be very careful about that. Hold those They might be true, like the tabernacle points to Jesus or uh, some of the festivals point to Jesus. It very well might be true, but unless the New Testament states it clearly, you might be on shaky ground when trying to demonstrate that to your Jewish friend. So you can stick with the virgin birth. You can stick with his being born in Bethlehem, being from the tribe of Judah. You can stick with Isaiah 53. You can stick with Psalm 22, which predicts crucifixion a thousand years before it was really ever created. Mm -hmm. And so there are plenty of passages, we call them proof texts, Mm -hmm. uh, which of course the anti-missionaries don't like because they say we're taking them out of context. But but you just get them to read them anyway. And so these proof texts are proof texts because they are used by the New Testament writers to demonstrate that Jesus is the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. And I feel that they're very valid uh, to use. It's always good to see the Bible in context, but it's also just fine to quote various verses to demonstrate uh, what you think is true. So I wouldn't shy away from that. That's great. Those are really helpful tips, Mitch. Um, thank you so much. And um, I'm just wondering, is, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to mention or wrap up on on this, uh, this topic? Um, any other tips in sharing your faith uh, with with a Jewish person? Yes. Just two or three really good principles. Number one, friendship is really important. So uh, if you have a bridge of friendship, then the gospel can travel over the bridge much easier than it can when you have an antagonistic relationship. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, because we do have the truth, sometimes we can become antagonistic with the truth. We can beat people over the heads with it. Right. Um, And when you make a strong point, it's always a good idea to back off a little bit and let people breathe. Mm. So what happens sometimes is Christians are so intent on proving that Jesus is the Messiah by using a a machine gun fire uh, approach to Old Testament prophecy that you forget that you're talking to a human being. Number one, they can't handle that much. You're familiar with it. They're not familiar with it. Try one verse. Right. And, and, and see what they think about it, discuss it. But the bridge of friendship is really important. When you're going rat-tat-tat and just showering them with messianic passages and you get very intense about how they have been fulfilled, well, you have to remember that the Jewish person is unfamiliar with the New Testament. They don't really believe the New Testament. They feel uncomfortable with the New Testament. Right. They may not even be f- familiar with the Old Testament. They may not have read it since their bar mitzvah. You know, and... <laughs> And so go be gentle and uh, go with go the friendship route rather than the uh, rather than 
being a uh, prosecuting attorney in a court situation. <laughs> right, you know, it's, right. it's much, much, much better for Jewish evangelism. The other thing that I would say is show respect for Jewish tradition. Mm. Uh, don't just ream the rabbis. You know, don't just say, oh, they didn't know what they're talking about. Or that's the tradition of men. That's a favorite line. Well, Jewish people value uh, a tradition. And actually, Christians value tradition. They mm -hmm. just don't know it. Mm -hmm. Now, we do believe absolutely that the Bible is the final word on all of it. In Hebrews chapter 1, uh, you see that very clearly all throughout the Old and New Testament. However, it's always good to show respect for another person's worldview, even when you disagree with it. Right. And so if you come up with things and say, well, that's just the rabbis. That's not the Bible. That's divisive. That's mm -hmm. not winning. And so, again, build a bridge of friendship. Uh, with a Jewish person. Respect their traditions. Re respect their faith. It doesn't mean that you're compromising your position and saying anything goes. But you have to respect, genuinely respect, the way a person was raised. And I think that that will really enable you to have a more impactful witness to a Jewish person. That's great. Mitch, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome. God bless. Dr. Glazer put it so well, we should never have a combative stance when we share the gospel with anyone, especially with Jewish people. Understanding scripture and using messianic prophecies are important when sharing your faith, but they must be joined with prayer and with love. We hope this series inspired you to share the gospel, not only more effectively, but also more compassionately. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today's episode was made thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Nicole Vaga, Grace Sweet, Elizabeth Carp, and Kyron Bautista. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHoPodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. See you next time.